book this morning, bring it to a conclusion. This wonderful little book, uh, 445 some odd verses, just a chapter in and of itself. We've been down through the material, um, and uh, I've tried to show you, we have three players in the book. You've got Philemon, you've got the Apostle Paul, and you've got Onesimus, and we, I tried to show you last time that relationship there as Paul begins to pull on Philemon to allow, verse number 6, to be what is the, the uh, issue, that the communication of thy faith may, be, may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And that is the issue that uh, is coming along where Philemon is, um, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, I can't hear myself for some reason, so um, anyway, it's me. If, if you can hear me, then everything's good. It's just up here with my, in my head. Um, where Philemon, Paul is going to send back Onesimus, who evidently, you know, obviously there's been some problems, and, and a, 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 an issue has come up, and, Philo, and Paul is like, hey, he, he's profitable now, okay, verse 11, but now profitable to thee and to me. So there is an a issue here. By the way, this, pat, this, chat, this little book tells us a couple things. One, you'll see how Paul deals with problems. He, he was, he's our, he's our pattern. So when problems come up, notice how Paul dealt with them here. First of all, verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So watch, watch what Paul says of Onesimus. He says he's my son, I've begotten in my bonds. Onesimus is in jail with, with Paul. Evidently, this book, it, you know, it gets written about the same time as Ephesians and Colossians, which is at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28 there, where Paul is, is in prison and sent with Onesimus as they go out and him and Tychicus and the guys take Ephesians and Colossians to the respective places. Philemon's got this letter. I'm, I'm sorry, Onesimus has this letter to Philemon. But you'll see how... Dear Onesimus has become to Philemon, uh, to Paul. He's my son. <laughs> he said that of Timothy, didn't he? He said that of Titus. He doesn't just throw that around. There, there's an endearment there. Verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So the situation is different now, Philemon. Before that we had an issue, but now he's become profitable. Now he's become, he, he's, he's, you're to do, do that thing there at the end of 2 Thessalonians. Just flip back over to 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, there verse 15. He says, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You've you got to have some, let's let the doctrine work in you, Philemon. Let's let the doctrine work in the way you think about Onesimus now, because now he's, he's, a, he's a brother. He, he's someone who's saved. Back in Philemon, verse 12, whom I have sent again, 
Thou therefore receive him that is my own bowels, whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. He, I would have retained him. Paul says, I would have kept him with me, but I, need, but I, I would have kept him because he's beneficial with me in the ministry here, but I need to send him back to you because you guys got to clear the table. You guys got to fix things up here. Verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing. Isn't that interesting? Paul would just simply look at Philemon and say, hey, I, I'm not going to do anything without thinking about your benefit first. He would be a benefit to me here at the ministry, but it's more beneficial for you that I send him home to you. So I'm going to do that. Paul's doing this the right way. He's, that, that's the issue here. He's getting it all back on the table. Then he says, verse 14, But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willing. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Notice the receive him. Bring him back, except getting back in the full, getting back to where needs be. But you're going to receive him forever, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Isn't that interesting? How are you going to receive him? You're not going to receive him back in that same status he was when he was unprofitable to you. Now you're going to think of him as a brother beloved. You're going to think in Romans 12 terminology. You're going to have a renewed mind about this. You're going to allow the sound doctrine that works across, comes across down through Romans and all the way through Titus, and it's going to work in you, Philem, acknowledging every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at this a little different. Now you're going to look at this. If Notice verse 17. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. <laughs> when Onesimus gets there... Philemon, you receive him as if I was standing there instead of him. That imputation that you put into my account. Verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or owed thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Paul says, look, I'll cover the bill. But you just remember our relationship. And that the partnership between Philemon and Paul was one of deep, a deep love relationship there, respect issue there. But yet, notice, again, he starts it, verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing. Paul says, I could have kept him, but the right thing to do was to send him back to you and you guys restore the relationship. Paul knew that he had to trust Philemon to do what was right. He had to trust Philemon's maturity to come along and to do what was right. He had to trust the doctrine to work in Philemon as it does in all of us. And that trust issue sometimes gets to be the sticking point. <laughs> okay? Then he says in verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience. 
There it is. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Notice, Paul, I, I love that. I have confidence in, the, in thy obedience I wrote unto you. I know that the word will work in you effectually in you that believe. I said it before. You can read the verses all day long. You can read three chapters a day till the cows come home. But if you don't believe what the verses are telling you, all you're doing is just reading another piece of literature. Okay? It's that, it's that simple. And yet, it's a sticking point that everybody seems to not to like. Then he says in verse 22, But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Notice Paul here, now we're going to kind of wrap up, wrap it up here. Verse 23, there salute thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul wraps up that letter again with a, the, his, a typical salutation, if you will. But notice in verse 22 here, he, he talks about, but withal prepare me also a place, for I trust that you're, through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul is, an, is anticipating being released. And in Acts, the end of Acts 28, he is under, he, run over there just so you read the verse. Acts 28, verse 30. <clears throat> Acts 28 and verse number 30. Acts 28 and verse number 30. He says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. At, uh, at that moment, he's under house arrest. He's able to have ministry, conduct, and so forth. And apparently, right after that, he's released from custody. He served this probation period of two years or whatever. So he's released, and he's able to go travel. It is in this time, in 30 and 31, that he's sitting there writing the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Those books are being written. And off he goes. And he's able to travel. And as we've seen in the pastoral epistles, when we looked where Timothy is, where, when he writes Timothy, and he writes Titus and so forth, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, he, he's, not, he, he's not in prison. He, he goes and he actually... He's, he goes into Macedonia there with Timothy and leaving Timothy there at Macedon, in 1 in, uh, Timothy there where he, he says, I left, thee in, in, uh, I, I left thee at Ephesus when he goes into Macedonia. That's like the third time through that territory. And we saw all that and we looked at it. So it's in this time period where he is writing the Philemon and he sends it with Philemon. Or, I'm sorry, with Onesimus. So when you come over here to verse 22, where, yes, sir? The kingdom of God is a generic term. It's an all-encompassing term about the message, and, and it's very specific to who's doing the talking as what it is representing. 
So if it was Peter, it would have been the earthly ministry, but because it's Paul, it's the heavenly ministry. Okay? But the kingdom of, and that's a good question, and Matthew, we're getting into that where we're going to start talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is very specific Israel, boom. The kingdom of God is a broader term. It's like the gospel of God. That is a broad, that's an umbrella term. And it depends on who's talking as to what it, how it's defined. Okay? All right, go back to Philemon 22. But, we, but withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I should be given unto you. So Paul's going to let go. He, he's, he, he, he has an expectation of being released, if you will, into Philemon's custody. And, and he's praying for that. And I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. He, he's, he, he's, he's hoping to, to get to go and to see Philemon and, and to be there. Then verse 23, there salute thee, Epaphras. So he's talking to Philemon there at Colossae. If you come back over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to come back into verse 22 here in just a minute. Uh, a couple things there to pick up. But look, if you will, at Colossians 1 and verse number 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And in Philemon 23 there, there salute thee. Philemon, say hello to Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So where is Epaphras? He's at Colossae. Philemon is at Colossae. They're working together. He writes the letter at the end. He says, hey, and by the way, say hello to Epaphras. And he, and he reminds Philemon, my fellow prisoner, what was Paul. He, he, Paul brings in that issue back in Philemon there, when he says there in verse 9 about, as one Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And again, that aged there is not necessarily just age, because he's not much older than Philemon, but rather it's age and being in the battle, being, you know, being a, a fight. I, I read a book one time about the guys, the Vietnam War guys, and where they went over as, as kids and come back as adults. You know, in their time served. Why? What did what happened? Well, war aged them, real quickly. Okay, so that's what's going on here. And again, in verse 23, he just simply reminds Philemon, say hello to Epaphras, and he throws that my fellow prisoner line, a little, just to remind Philemon, hey, over here in the trenches, we're fighting it out, we're duking it out, and you need, and you're in the trenches with us. Then verse 24, Marcus. Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So if you come back to Colossians again in chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, and yeah, Colossians chapter 4, if you look here, verse 9, verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 9, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, 
verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if ye come unto me, receive him. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Verse 14, Lucas, I'm sorry, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So there's the list of the guys that he's saying hello to. Philemon, you say hello to these guys. You're there at Colossae. They're traveling. They're, you say hello to them. Greet them. Shake their hands. Give them the holy kiss. What, you know, however you want to say it. Say hello to them. Because they're my fellow laborers. They're doing the work. They're in the trenches with me. Now the interesting thing is, is you'll notice that Demas is listed. Now come over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. When Demas is lift, listed here at the end of Philemon and in, Colossian, in Colossians, he's still in good standing with Paul. But in 2 Timothy 4, verse number, verse number 10, by the way, if you look at verse 11, only Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to, you see Mark, that, that's Marcus, that's the same guy, and he's still in the trenches with Paul working, Antichicus, and this is at the end of Paul's life. But look at verse 10, for Demas has, what, forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. You see, Demas, he's fallen off the bandwagon, he's off the wagon now. He's loved the present world, so he's gone back to Thessalonica and, and really begin to kind of cause Paul some trouble. But I want you to notice that even though Philemon is the last of Paul's epistles, it's not when it was written. It was written earlier because Demas is in good stead at the end of Paul's day. Demas is not in, he, he, he's, he's, in, he's been marked. Hey, Watch for Demas, because he's a troublemaker. And we looked at that when we went through 2 Timothy 4 there. So when you come back to Philemon, he brings these guys up because they are fellow laborers. These, are, the, these guys are workers. And it is very interesting, and I encourage you sometime to take a pen and paper and, and go look at the names that Paul names, the people, and then, but what he says about them. They're my fellow laborers, my fellow prisoners, my fellow workers. They're faithful ministers. They, they, uh, Aquila and Priscilla would risk their necks for him and stuff like that. And it's, and it's very important to see how Paul valued faithful people, men and women. You know, he hands the book of Romans to Phoebe and says, go take it, <laughs> you know. Could you imagine being Phoebe and somebody hands you that, you know, he hands you the book and says, I trust it to your care, huh? <laughs> Say what? And off he goes. So when you get to the end here, verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul, again, one more time with Philemon, your spirit, your attitude. That's what he's talking about. You know, there's a spirit in the room and stuff you know, of study and of, I don't know if you've ever been around that. You, we were talking about the ball game just a minute ago. You go to the ball game and 
there's a, a spirit of tension. There, it's very tense because we don't know how it's going to come out, you know. I, and, and yet, you, I was watching the World Series last night just a little bit um, after the Alabama game, and it was 4-1. to one. And you could, through the TV, feel the tension in the, in the stadium. They were nervous. Then the guy hit the grand slam, and it was over. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's go home. Woo-hoo. <laughs> you know, the, he, he broke the tension real quick. <laughs> okay. But, and then I turned it off and went and watched something else. Uh, but the thing is, is that's what Paul's talking about. Philemon, your spirit, your attitude. Your attitude with Onesimus. Reach back over there now. And let's, let's, let's restore the issues here. And let's come along and let's allow the doctrine, the communication of your faith, Philemon, let's let that impact Onesimus, but also the local assembly there at Colossae. And how you're going to do that, Philemon, is you're going to acknowledge every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. You're going to operate in the sound doctrine. You're going to operate with a renewed mind. That's what you're going to do. Now, it's interesting. The, the book's done. I'm not done, I, <laughs> but the book's done, okay? Just notice some things here. Uh, just kind of clean up a little bit. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Notice how Paul talks for what perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever Philemon instead of looking at Onesimus as a dirty rotten so and so for leaving maybe he left so that we would run into each other and he would get saved and would be restored back to you You see, that issue of how to find God's will for your life, how do the theologians talk? Before the foundation of the world, God has a preordained life map. If that's my case, thanks, Lord. What are you trying to do here? You know, being a school bus driver, we were talking a little bit. Thanks. Way to go. Appreciate that one. Where was the lawyer or the doctor? Where was, you know, or touch it and it turns to gold. Come on, Lord, really? See how quickly you can start blaming the Lord for everything? You know, I'm a bus driver because I made that decision 14, 13 and a half years ago. See? Perhaps. Paul never talks about a preordained, designed roadmap for your life. He says, maybe. Who knows? Here's a possibility. I, I was talking to a guy one time years ago on the internet uh, through uh, Facebook at the time, and uh, he's like, well, you just sound like, you know, it's got to be this way. I go, that's because there's no other option. He goes, well, what about this? And I said, well, that's an interesting option, but these verses over here cancel that option out, so it's not that. But if, and and he goes, well, okay, so a couple weeks later, he's going to try to get me. And And he even told me, I'm trying to get you. So he gave me a, 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 a hypo, uh, hypothetical, thank you. And I said, it can't, you can't be dogmatic about that because here's four options that it could be. And he's like, well, and I said, well, read the verses, okay? 
You see, Paul's perhaps, maybe. Could it possibly be that all this kind of happened here so that he would run into me? Philemon, let's think about this differently. Rather than being dogmatic and rather than saying he ran into Paul because God before the foundation of the world, okay? I think of Lay and, and Jerry and Jill there. They ran into each other at McDonald's one morning. Well, the, the, the Calvinists say before the foundation of the world, God planned for that meeting by chance. My question then would be, why did it wait so long for the meeting to happen then? If God would have all men to come, be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, why aren't we having this meeting at day three of our lives, of our understanding lives, I should say? You see, he doesn't work that way. Paul says, but perhaps. Philemon, let's think about this this way. And by the way, Philemon, if you think about it, that maybe this is the, you know, the goal here, you won't harbor the resentment that he could harbor. If Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, what does the Lord himself say? By chance. See, Ecclesiastes 9, I love that. Time and chance happened to all. <laughs> That's what it is. Growing up, Mel Derry, he's with the Lord now. He used to say, luck is the... Uh, the residue of design. And you think about that, like, hmm, okay. I think I got that quote right. Okay. Paul in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians says, I determined with myself. I love that. He had a staff meeting and figured it out. This is what we're going to do. I, okay, you know, 1 Thessalonians 3, I thought it good. See, he never talks like, the theologians talk. He says, hey, perhaps. You see, doing the will of God in Paul's epistles is finding out what God's doing and go do that. What's God doing today? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So then what should we about be about doing? Doing the same thing. And by the way, that is our ambassadorship. That's what we're to be doing. That's the wonderful message of grace and peace. Paul took, he, he looks at the events, and he says, Philemon, I know you look at it a certain way because you've been harmed and hurt. But how about let's look at it this way, and let's see how it, how it all turned out, and it's really going to be to the honor and the glory of the Father. Let's look at it that way. Adjust that thinking then the other issue is in verse 22 and that's the issue of how prayer works in our lives because notice how he says but with all prepare me also a lodging for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you notice how Paul, through your prayers. So then the, the, Paul is, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul 
is counting on Philemon to understand when he says, through your prayers, Philemon, what he's talking about. So he gets into an understanding of how prayer works in our lives. Usually we think about, we shoot a prayer up to the, up to the Father, and he's a big vending machine in the sky. And if I dump enough faith quarters in him, he'll give me what I'm asking for. When the disciples come to the Lord and ask him, teach us how to pray. In Matthew 6, he tells them, don't pray like the heathen with all the, reputa- all the, the repeating. You know what a kid does? A child does that. If I ask dad enough times, eventually he's going to cave and give, it in, give in to me just to shut me up. So we call that nagging. Okay. He says, don't pray like the heathen pray. Don't pray like the superstitious religious crowd prays. But let's pray with some understanding. So in Matthew 6, he teaches them how to pray in the kingdom. Pray, pray with some understanding. Paul does the same thing for you and I. He says, your, your prayer life, people say, oh, you, don't, you, know, you guys don't believe in prayer. Oh, yeah, we do believe in prayer. We just don't believe in it the way the religious crowd says you ought to be praying. You see, folks, when you pray, what are you doing? You're talking to the Father, aren't you? About the details of life that are going on in the moment. And then how to take his word and apply it to those details. You follow that. So what do you got to have in your inner man is some word of God. Rightly divided in there. Matthew, You're in 2 Corinthians Look at verse, uh, you know what, run to, chap, run to chapter 12, I'm sorry. Let's just go to chapter 12. Paul prayed constantly. He talked to the Father constantly about the members of the body of Christ, the churches he was dealing with, those he had never seen, you know, and so forth. And he was constantly talking, and five prayers specifically of Paul's are given to us. Two in Ephesians, two in Philippians, and one in Colossians. The one in Colossians summarizes the ones in Ephesians and Philippians. And that's an interesting thing when you study those prayers out. We're going to go look at them here in just a second, okay? Because in Romans 8, what does Paul say about prayer? We don't know what we ought to be praying for. Well, in Romans 8, where are you on the spiritual maturity scale? Pretty young. You're growing. You're just coming through some the identification doctrines, see? So, yeah, in, in the early days, there's some things, well, I don't know if I should be praying for this. Should I pray for that? What? And you know what Paul says? Just pray. Just talk to the Father. It's good to go. Now, watch Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. He has verse 7. He gets a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. What did Paul do right there? He prayed for the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh, didn't he? Now, he doesn't identify the thorn in the flesh. I have to say this every time, because if he said it was a migraine headache, everybody in this room is having a migraine headache right now, and they're looking for the Lord to fix them. He doesn't say that, okay? 
And honestly, you can't determine it from the context of the passage either. Because he talks about physical infirmities in the context, and he talks about people. So you're my thorn in my flesh. Lord, please remove them. <laughs> right? Okay? So now you're a hermit on the back end of the hill. Okay? See, it doesn't work. Because the issue is, isn't verse 8. Now here's the great apostle Paul, full of faith, work of the minute. You couldn't, you couldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole as far as him getting stuff done for the Lord. Never had a bad day ministry-wise in the day. Well, he does, but okay. And yet, what is he doing? He's asking for help, isn't he? He's asking for relief. So is it okay if you ask for relief? Philippians 4 says, yeah, it is. But Philippians 4 says, here's the answer to your request of the relief. And guess what? It's right here in verse number 9. And he said unto me, there's your relief. What was the word of God to Paul in that moment? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the answer. But what was the word of God to Paul? And he said unto me. The word of God to Paul was, the answer to Paul's prayer was, my grace is sufficient to me, to thee. The answer to prayer, which is what we're all looking for, is what is the word of God to you in that situation? Okay? In this situation, it's my grace is sufficient. You're over here praying about a job. What's the, what is the word of God to you about a job? Get a job, dude. Get a haircut and get a real job. See, it isn't my grace is sufficient for you. It's what? Get a job. Should I take the CEO position or the janitor position? Come on, Lord, move the tea leaves. I mean, because, see, what prayer does is prayer takes you, puts you on the spot to allow the Word of God to work effectually in you that believe. You see, the answer to prayer is, and he said unto me. If I'm praying about something, I go to the book to get the answer, don't I? Yes, thank you. You should. So then, well, what if there's not an answer in there? Well, there's a couple other verses that will help you make those decisions, expediency and bondage and edify others and so forth. Okay? First Timothy, uh, first, and, and, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10. My point is, is when Paul says to Philemon, I threw your prayers, what is, what is Paul knowing? What's Paul re requiring Philemon to understand about prayer? That when Philemon shoots the prayer up there to the, to the father, that it's not going to ricochet over and the father's going to reach down and move things. Because that's not how prayer works today. How does prayer work today? And he said unto me. So prayer works today. Listen, do we all want to see unsaved people get saved? How do people get saved? They have to hear the, the gospel, don't they? 
You know what that means? That means you've got to open your mouth and give them the gospel. You can sit over here in your prayer time and pray all day long for unsaved people to get saved and never open your mouth, and guess what's going well, to happen? They're not going to get saved. It takes the word. Listen, if you're praying for people to get saved, and you understand the gospel, and you understand your duty as an ambassador, what's going to be the natural motivation to now come over here and open your mouth and talk to people about the gospel? It isn't Rick going, hey, we're going doing this, this, this. It's that internal working of the word of God in you. Are you following? Paul was Paul to Philemon was, hey, <laughs> that's how this is going to work. Philemon, I know you're praying for me, and I'm hoping that maybe you'll get involved here a little bit and maybe petition the court so I can come and winter with you. Maybe that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about shooting a prayer up there, ricocheting off of God, come down over here and hit, hit the constable in the head and said, hey, I think you should go to Philemon's house. Because it doesn't work that way. Do you follow that? Paul brings up prayer. He brings up two big issues in verse 15 and 22. How God works today in both scenarios and how you determine what you're going to do in your life and how then the, the prayer is going to come along and work in your life. And he brings them up here at the end, and he brings them up this way because they are critical components in the Christian life. That you and I, as believers, on our walk, begin to understand the word rightly divided, put it into our inner man, and effectually believe the verses and the doctrine and go live the verses and the doctrine. And when that happens, and when we begin to talk to the Father, guess what happens? And he said unto me. Now, what he says is, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now watch. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that wonderful? That's a great answer. And that honestly is the answer to most of our, our prayer. Notice that ends with the period there. Now watch Paul's adjustment in his thinking. He just got the doctrine, my grace is sufficient for you, for when you're weak, I'm strong. Now watch his adjustment in his thinking. Paul's thinking to this point is what? Lord, get rid of, pull it away, verse 8, get rid of it, Lord, take it away from me. You see that? Are, are we there? The doctrine is designed to adjust the thinking. Now Paul says what? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities while I, uh, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, because I'm understanding that my, his grace is sufficient. And when I'm weak, he's strong. Therefore, what am I going to, what's my new thinking process now? Hey, I'm going to take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, that's an adjustment in thinking there. Because the doctrine did that. Do you, I hope you see that. This is all about prayer. You're sitting here praying about whatever. By the way, it doesn't always have to be bad. I hope you pray in good times, too. <laughs> you know, you ought to be praying, well, you pray without ceasing, the verse tells us. 
By the way, that tells you prayer is not a posture. You go down the freeway, some of you do this anyway, with your eyes closed, praying. I'm back behind you watching you praying. Lord, I hope he don't hit that car. Oh, he hit the car. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was on my motorcycle one morning and car drifting over into my lane and I was backing up as quickly as I could and I'm just sitting there going well Lord I can see you here in a minute because <laughs> it's coming <laughs> and this poor lady she was putting on makeup answering a text and talking on the phone all she was not paying attention and I'm like oh back up and I'm honking and, <clears throat> and doing some other things too but <laughs> yelling and you know but uh, see you can't pr- prayer isn't the posture now, it is in Israel's program. There's some things that they have to be in and so forth. But you pray without ceasing. What are you doing? You're constantly talking to the Father about the details of life and how to take his word and apply it to those details. Now, come over with me to Ephesians. We're going to do this just real quickly. We won't get into all the doctrine, but I just want to show you where Paul starts, Romans 8. You don't know how you're going to pray yet. You're, not, you're learning. You're growing. Okay? 2 Corinthians 12, he says, hey, I've had an attitude, a thinking adjustment, an attitude adjustment. I'm not going to be worrying about the physical infirmities anymore. Why? Because God's graces, and now when I'm weak, I'm, he's strong, and I'm in him, and we're strong. And so I'm going to glory in this stuff now. I'm not worried about it any longer. An adjustment. By the way, run back to 2 Corinthians 12. I, well, because I, I meant to do it one before we left, but you need to see this. Because, folks, what adjusts you, your, what adjusts you in me is the doctrine. And it's always the doctrine. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 1. It is, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. And off he goes. That event, he's talking about himself. In Acts 14, verse number 19, Paul's pulled out of Derby and Lystra and stoned and left for dead. That's where that event happens. Notice it was 14 years ago, verse 2. He's looking back, recollecting, okay? He gets some information, verse 4, that's not lawful for a man to utter. Now, that's where everybody has a cow and then a calf and then another cow. Okay, honestly, it's just, but when you go over and you begin to study out that not lawful thing, you find out that, like in Acts 10, he looks at Peter, he says, it wasn't lawful for you to go to the Gentiles. It's not what? Time to go to the Gentiles. Now it's time for you to go talk to Cornelius and those guys. See, the not lawful there is a, it's a timing issue. Paul received information in that trip to paradise, the third heaven. And it was not time 
to reveal it yet. Now, the idea is that he got the information of Ephesians. That's the idea, okay? Whatever he got, it wasn't time for him to say it. Now, later, he's going to say it. Because later in Acts, he looks at the Ephesians elder and says, I didn't hold anything back from you. I gave you all the good stuff. That means he gave them this too. Okay? So there's a timing thing. Paul, it's not time to reveal the information yet. He learned this in Acts 14. If it is the Ephesians doctrine, by the way, I believe it is. Okay? That's my personal belief. Then when it's time to reveal it, which is in Acts 19.20, to the church at Ephesus there, where he spends three years and so forth, then he lets it loose. But when you start reading in Acts 14, after this event, what does Paul do in Acts 14? After they assume he's, he, they leave him for dead, he gets right back up and goes right back into Derby and Lystra. He's got a death wish. You know, what did, he, what did he see? This is why I think it's the Ephesians doctrine. What did he see when he was caught up into the third heaven? He saw the whole picture. He got the big, the doctrine of Ephesians. Here's what God's doing. Here's the goal of it. When you get that, you know what you quickly could care less about? Your life. Because if they kill me, where, where am I going? I'm going to glory to be a part of this big cosmic plan he's got. So what am I worried about down here anymore? And you literally, if you look in Acts and you think about that and you watch Paul, Paul was always looking to get killed. Not on purpose, but, I mean, the guys were watching for him. But everywhere he went, there was trouble that followed him, and he was right in the middle of it. And he actually was trying to get in the middle of some of it, and they kept him back. Now, you think about what would motivate someone to be that way. The doctrine did. When he looks over there in Philippians, and he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've been instructed. Who's instructed him? What did he learn? He learned this, the sound doctrine. The sound doctrine is what adjusted his thinking to say, you know what? Man, when I'm weak, he's strong, and I'm in him, and this is what he's doing, so I'm going to just forget that and go do this. It's a completely different way of thinking about it. You know, we, you know what we do? We've got to be big and bad. We've got to be six foot five and 300 pounds of muscle. Never lose, always win. Paul says, no, dude, I'm losing. I'm a, but I'm really winning. Now, come over to Ephesians 1. You guys follow that? Man, the prayer, this stuff with Philemon, he brings up that issue of prayer. He, he's Philemon, let the doctrine work. Philemon is praying for Paul. He knows what's going on. Onesimus is there. He's just worked through. We did those three triangles last week, you know. He's worked through all that sound doctrine in him. He's worked through all of that. And he comes over there and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on the old pigeon phone here. And I'm going to send a note over there and tell him to send Paul to me. And he can, he can lodge with me. I'll take responsibility for him. That's what Paul's hoping for. Hey, I want you to get involved, Philemon. See what's going on. The first one of Paul's prayers here, we got six minutes, so let's do them quickly, is in Ephesians 1, 
starts here in verse 15, and it will run through, well, really the end of the chapter. But what I want you to notice, verse, he says there in verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that, here's what he's praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wealth and health and prosperity. What With what? Wisdom, revelation and knowledge. I'm sorry, in this, uh, give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the gold, silver, and precious stones. There they are. You see how Paul's praying for some spiritual things to happen to you? That you may know the confidence of knowing something, what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and, I mean, he just, boom. No, all, none of that is about physical issues at all. Now, if you have that understanding in you, guess what's going to happen to the physical side of things? They're going to they're gonna be there because he left us here. But you're going to deal with them completely different, aren't you? Because you're going to be thinking about, know what is your hope. What is the hope of his calling? Isn't that interesting? He goes, I want you to have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so that you can know what the hope of his calling is and know the riches of the inheritance you're going to get that he's getting in you. Come over to chapter 3. Here's the second one in Ephesians. Ephesians 3. It starts there in verse number 14. Watch verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So now we're going to be strengthened with the might by the spirit where? In the inner man. He works in you. He doesn't work on you. Okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to, I love that word, comprehend. The other chapter one, to know, what is the hope of his calling? Here it's to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, he wants you to know some things. He doesn't want you just walking around going, woo, sky's blue, woo-hoo, yay. He wants you to know some things, to have some confidence, be filled with all the fullness of God. Number next one, number two, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11 is the next one. Philippians 1, verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Well, there's our big three again, isn't it? Why does he want you to know something? Understand the doctrine. Allow the doctrine to work in you so you can approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that you'll be walking as who you are in Christ all the days of your life as you learn and grow and do. That, I'm sorry, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. 
The fruits of righteousness are by who? By Jesus Christ. Philemon. I want your faith to be effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. I want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Isn't that, man, it's fantastic. Next one, Philippians 4. Quickly here. Philippians 4. It's verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verse 6. Now, think about this. What's going on in you? What's being built up in you? The sound doctrine, you've got that renewed mind, you're adjusting your thinking about the details of your life and so forth. Now he comes to, the, to this one. Be careful for nothing. No anxiety. No, no, not, not a no care as you really you don't care, but nothing's tripping you up. No, we would say he does, no anxiety. No worries, maybe. That kind of idea. But in everything by prayer, general stuff, and supplication, that's a specific need. With what? Isn't that interesting? He never talks about Thanksgiving till right here. Because you've got some doctrine built into you now. And now what's motivating you is that motivation of grace, which is a thankful heart. So now you're going to let your request be made known unto God. Notice it doesn't say, don't let it. It says, let it. Why? Because it's on your heart. It's on your mind. You're thinking about it. Should I sell the house and should I move? (laughs) Yes, no, maybe so. You're thinking about it. You're con- so you begin to walk through how you make decisions in your life, and you count the stuff. You know, you do everything you're going to do, and you come to you say, Lord, you know what? I'm thinking about this, and you know what he says? Verse 7, and the peace of God. That's what he says. Because he doesn't care where you live, just as long as where you live, you're living as who you are in him. Isn't that interesting? Obey the doctrine. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's your inner man. Your heart, you, your soul, your mind, your spirit, your inner man. What's going to keep that? The peace of God. Because what am I doing? I'm talking to the Father about everything in life, and I'm taking the Word of God, and I'm applying it to the details of life, That's why he'll say, verse 8, finally, brethren, and he gives you that whole list, and he says, think on these things. Now, Colossians 1, the last group. Colossians 1, you start in verse 9, run down to to, uh, the end of the chapter, but verse 9, he says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and the spirit of understanding. There's Ephesians 1. Strengthen, verse 11, I'm, I'm sorry, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. Well, where am I strengthened? In the inner man by the Spirit. There's Ephesians 3. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet. Where does thanksgiving pop up? 
The prayers in Philippians. This prayer, he just takes them all, capsulizes them, and says, man, we got a job to do. It's out there in the heavenly places, and it's been designed for you all along. The point in all of that is prayer. Paul brings up prayer at the end of Philemon. I was there. Where am I? There it is. I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul understood that Philemon understood that God wasn't going to reach down over there and let that Roman magistrate let him go into Philemon's hands. What he was hoping for Philemon to do was to catch on and say, hey, I'm going to go over there and petition the court to have him be released to me. Because Paul wanted to see Philemon. Now, there's no indication it ever happened, but that was the idea. Prayer is... It has been said that prayer is the breath of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the breath of the soul, it's been said as well. You think about praying, and you talk to the Father about what's going on in life, your life. I mean, how, how do I take that verse, how do I take this, Matt, get them to work? And when it does, it energizes you. And Paul knew that. That's why he would say, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Because he knew he would. That's verse 21. Okay? So that's the little book of Philemon. Four lessons. Everybody, Nobody thought I'd do it in four, but that's what it is. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that works in us. And we're thankful for everything that you've given to us in your son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.